faithwire.com. Cuban-American Marco Rubio shreds the idea being put forth by many that Cuba's current woes are because of America's trade embargo on them. A must-hear clip from Rubio. We'll have that and more. Today is Thursday, July 22nd, 2021. I'm Dan Andros, and we have that and more coming up on the 4 and 3 podcast from CBN's Faithwire. Four big stories, three things you need to know about them, all from a Christian perspective. Joining me today, as always, is Trey Gons Phillips from FaithWire.com. Trey, what's going on? Hey, Dan. Happy Thursday. You know, I'm looking forward to hearing more about this uh, Marco Rubio clip, because what I've listened to so far... He had a lot of good stuff to say and kind of breaks down the embargo in a way that makes a lot of sense. Yes. Uh, so I think it'll be useful information. Yes, indeed. It's a great clip. Uh, so we will be getting to that in just a second. Also, CNN, uh, his, Don Lemon gets uh, kind of corrected on some CRT stuff, which uh always useful because the narratives are shifting on that all over the place, aren't yep. they? Yeah. All and, the time. All and, the time. And... Um, Asia Bibi has a great story uh, on CBN about a sign that God sent her while she was on death row. And Trey, probably the best story of the day is this Instagram influencer who filmed a piano man at the airport outside of a Chick-fil-A. And just the end result of this video is just phenomenal. Yeah. No, it's crazy. He just live streamed it or, or videoed it out to his 170,000 Instagram followers. And the result really was truly inspiring. And uh, the the pianist, he said that he had lost all hope in humanity. He had said he had told his wife that that morning. And by the evening, he said that what happened <laughs> restored his hope in people. So it's a really cool story. Very, very cool. Very cool. Can't wait to get to that one as well. But we start... Uh, with Marco Rubio, who uh, made an appearance uh, on with Sean Hannity this week, and he is a Cuban-American. And uh, his family story is amazing. He was born in Florida. Both his parents were Cubans who came to the U.S. uh, back in 1956, which was just ahead of Castro's uh, revolution and takeover there. Um, He took umbrage with the idea being put forth by the likes of Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez and others that somehow... The trade embargo uh, with Cuba is what's causing the economic hardship in in the communist nation and not communism itself. In fact, media outlets like uh, PBS blame the unrest on a failed COVID response. And they blamed it on Trump uh, rather than the communist regime itself. Um, U.S. Rep. Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, as I said, she was more direct uh, when she called it out. Um, She said, we must also name the U.S. contribution to Cuban suffering our 60-year-old embargo. So here's what Senator Rubio had to say about that notion that somehow America is causing all of the problem here uh, in Cuba. Well, first of all, Cuba is a failure because socialism doesn't work. Marxism doesn't work. Marxism is about power and nothing to do with prosperity. It's about controlling people. A Marxist system wants to keep people poor because poor people are easier to control. A Marxist system is about uh, leveraging people, basically saying you're not going to have food, you're not going to have medicine, you're not going to have any benefits unless you agree to do what we want. So that's the first thing. The second thing, it's a tyranny. 
Tyranny doesn't promote competence. The leaders of Cuba aren't just evil, they're incompetent people. Because in Cuba, you don't get promoted for being smart. You get promoted because you're loyal, because you're compliant, because you give in. The third is they're liars. Marxism and socialism always has to lie. Fidel was a liar, and every one of them are liars. There is no U.S. embargo against the Cuban people. If a Cuban tonight wants to open up a Versailles in Cuba, they can, and we can sell them stuff. The only embargo is on the Cuban regime because they own everything. Every business, every hotel, every restaurant, they own it. They own every single one of them. And what President Trump did is he said very, in the policies he put in place, it was very simple. If you're a private citizen of Cuba, you can open up a private business and we can do trade with you. But we're not going to do trade with military owned companies because all that money goes into their pocket. So, yeah, Cuba, uh, Rubio putting Cuba's situation there uh, pretty succinctly and in a way that I haven't heard before. Um, and I think it really kind of crystallizes what's going on there and why there would be an embargo in the first place. It's not a punishment on the people there. Uh, they're already getting punished by communism. So it's a punishment yeah. on the communist regime because they're the ones that would be getting all that money because they own all of the businesses. So uh, good comments there from Marco Rubio. He went on to say that there are some segments of the Democratic Party, regretfully, that are openly defending the communist regime, including Black Lives Matter, as we talked about on this podcast. Uh, Rubio said he and his team are ready and willing to assist any BLM member who wants to immigrate to Cuba. Uh, they said that to cheers in the live studio audience that was there during that interview. Uh, this was what BLM said in a statement about the protests when it was going viral. They said the people of Cuba are being punished by the U.S. government because the country has maintained its commitment to sovereignty and self-determination. So some were surprised by this comment that they would be defending um, Cuba and the communist regime. Others were not, noting that BLM's founders have stated explicitly that they are trained Marxists. So logically, uh, of course, it makes sense that they would be fans of a Marcus, Marxist communist country like Cuba. So uh, why does this one matter? Well, the left's getting that pushback, Trey, for not acting quickly enough on Cuba or, or sometimes even appearing like they have any interest at all in acting. And it uh, took some prodding from people like Rubio uh, to get the Biden administration to address the issue, which they did eventually. Um, and as we've discussed over the past few days, you know, it really matters because the people are in dire straits and you know, hundreds have gone missing or they've been detained after these protests, including Christian pastors and Christians and their families uh, being evicted from homes because the state's threatening the landlords. Just crazy stuff going on. So be praying for all in Cuba and make sure that your elected representatives are doing all they can to actually address this issue and kind of fight this communist regime in Cuba. Yeah, I so when I, we were reporting earlier about the Black Lives Matter statement and uh, Laz Alonzo, he's an actor, he's in the Prime uh, Amazon Prime show, The Boys. Mm. Uh, he kind of condemned Black Lives Matter for their statement. We have a story on on that on Faithwire. But when I was writing that story and I went to you know the Instagram account for Black Lives Matter and wanted to make sure that I got got the wording right on uh, BLM's statement. I was honestly like dumbfounded by, I mean, because so they're the Cuban regime, their police force is you know, taking people off the streets, uh, pastors, recording artists, rappers, artists, whatever, taking them off the street. Uh, and they're essentially disappearing because the people of Cuba have no idea where these influencers or where these ministers have been put. They don't know where they're going. Uh, the police, they're also going out into the streets and shooting protesters 
you know, and and then the, like that's just what's happening on the ground right now. Obviously, what they're protesting is such incredible corruption through communism and all of that. So all of this is going on, and BLM's statement is is talking about cruel and inhumane. And yeah. who are they talking about? Not Cuba. They're talking about the United, United States. States. Like yeah. uh, because we have <laughs> been so cruel and inhumane. That's why Cubans are suffering. And it just seems so completely removed from reality. Like what what are you talking about? That's yeah. not that's not at all what's going on. And it's just a total uh, misunderstanding, misrepresentation uh, of what what the people of Cuba are actually protesting. So I think like you said, Dan, we just need to be informed and you know informing ourselves as best we can because there's a lot of there's a lot of stuff out there pulling us in all kinds of different directions so we need to be trying our best to get accurate information so that we can be effective in how we pray for the people of cuba uh, right now and pray for christians there who are trying to minister to to their fellow cubans because it's a, a tough place to be right now like we've we've talked about a few times here yeah yeah absolutely 100 percent so, all right, story number two. So in a recent column, New York Times writer Ross Dothit, he argued in favor of what he described as a patriotic education, one in which young students uh, would be taught about the goodness of America and its foundation before being exposed to the sins of its past, namely, obviously, the, the evils of, of slavery. So CNN host Don Lemon brought Dothit onto his show uh, to talk about his column and critical race theory. Dothit said that what's, quote, driving controversy in schools right now is not teaching that racism exists and has consequences today. Uh, That wouldn't be an issue uh, in his mind. He said instead, uh, what people are upset about is a much more specific sort of theory, referring to CRT, that identifies social norms and institutions as forms of, quote, toxic whiteness. Lemon, though, was not very pleased with (laughs) with how Dothit was framing that, uh, so he chimed in to claim wrongly, uh, that CRT is not being taught in schools. It's not being used in grade school and elementary school education. It's not in curricula for for public school systems. That's just not the case. Uh, The Times columnist quickly then jumped back in to correct Lemon, telling him, no, that's not exactly right, uh, Dothit said. He quote, he went on to say, quote, critical race theory is an incredibly influential set of ideas that has solid influence in education, schools, and elsewhere. Uh, but there's a bit of a trap that some CRT advocates will try to catch critics in. And then uh, Dothit addressed that too. He clarified that although it's not, quote, the foundational text of critical race theory that are being taught in primary schools, teachers have developed curricula and lesson plans that do reflect ideas that come out of critical race theory in some attenuated sense. He talked about how it's being taught through content by Robin DiAngelo and Ibram X. Kendi, two prominent author activists, as he called them, uh, who promote CRT, and even through the New York Times' 1619 project, which has been decried by a lot of historians as totally historically inaccurate. Uh, But it's being taught in in a lot of academic institutions, even in elementary and grade school classrooms. I think CBN News reported uh, when this first happened, like at least 35 school districts had implemented parts of the 1619 project into their curriculum on slavery in American history. So what's the left saying? Well, Lemon is just flat out wrong on this. Uh, The two largest teachers unions in the country, the National Education Association and the American Federation of Teachers, have both vowed repeatedly to stand by educators as parents raise concerns about the inclusion of CRT themes in their kids' classrooms. Obviously, both of those teachers' unions are left-leaning. 
Uh, so what's the right saying? Well, conservatives and Christians have pushed back against all of this stuff. We've reported several times, Dan, at, at Faithware and CBN about parents, too, uh, who are concerned about CRT lessons in their schools. We've got, you know, viral videos of uh, teachers even, but parents and teachers going and talking about these kind of woke policies uh, and woke uh, agendas getting into curriculum. Uh, we've got viral videos of, of them speaking at school board meetings and Megan Kelly pulled her kids out of uh, their private New York City schools over CRT. Uh, and then Vadi Bakum told us earlier this year that it would be catastrophic if the church were to fully embrace CRT, he even likened it to a religion. He said that the church doesn't need a divisive academic theory, quote, to teach us on race or on the sin of partiality, as saying that scripture is efficient and sufficient to address how, how we deal with injustice. So why does it matter? I think it's just clear that so many in the media, Dan, start from a place of denial, mm. right? Like if conservatives are concerned about it, uh, then the the knee-jerk reaction among so many in the press is to assume that it must not be true and they must be exaggerating. Uh, it's, so it's encouraging to see people like Talfit correcting Lemon in real time because that's what needs to happen. Because it's just like, it, it seems like Lemon will say, well, that's not true because the guy who's talking, the Times columnist, happens to be center-right. So if he's saying it, he must not be accurate. It must be wrong. So the knee-jerk reaction is just to say, well, you're wrong about this, uh, when in reality it's it's the other way around. So yeah. it's encouraging to see to see Dothit, you know, stand up and, and correct him in real time. And parents and conservatives need to just be willing to continue doing that respectfully, just calling it out uh, when they see misrepresentation in the media because it's, it's plentiful, as we've talked about. Yeah. But... Uh, the only way to correct it, I think, is to is to call it out in real time. Yeah, yeah, and, and at least have an honest conversation because right now what's happening right. is you have people like Don Lemon and uh, others. I think Joy Behar, you know, any prominent voice that's kind of on the left. When this is right. brought up, this CRT issue, they say it's, it's not even being taught. Like it's just not a thing. Don't know. That's not an honest argument at all. I mean, there are a gazillion examples of things that are even if they're not explicitly stated as critical race theory when you start talking about systemic anything with systemic racism um and that you know they talked about that that toxic you know whiteness uh anything like that is falls under the umbrella of crt so you know it might yeah. not be a specifically named critical race theory curriculum but it's very obvious when there's something of that nature being taught. I mean, a lot of these diversity inclusion positions that are being created in different districts, clearly this is the purpose is to teach yeah. that America is, is racist and that this, the institutions are systemically racist. That is a worldview yeah. that is, we've talked about. And, um, you know, let's not pretend it's not happening. Let's, if you want to argue for it, then go ahead. But, um, let's not have a, a fake argument here saying, oh, they just don't want to hear about slavery. Well, that that's not true. I mean, that, that's just blatantly not true. Everyone, everyone in America has gone through school where they've taught about slavery and Jim Crow. I, I can't imagine there's any school not teaching that in any yeah. way, shape or form. So let's have an honest, honest debate at least. And that's what I was glad that Dothit pointed that out is like, OK, sure. They might not be using the original, you know, the the authentic seminal texts of CRT that were written in the 1980s when it was when it first came to fruition but 
they are implementing curricula that are influenced by them and motivated, inspired by CRT. It's like even the 1619 Project, which suggests that uh, the the entire founding of the United States, we were we were established, our economy, our laws, our constitution, all of it was established to prop up white supremacy and slavery. That's just that's that's not true. That's you know that's right. that's not actual history. Historians have have pushed back against that. But the point is, is that yes, it's not the 1619 Project is not called critical race theory. It's it's got a different name, whatever. But it's clear based on what it's teaching that that's very influenced. Like it's heavily influenced by critical race theory, uh, because you wouldn't come to that conclusion without the the underpinnings of CRT. So, like you said, Dan, I think it's just important to let's stop with this like semantic battle uh, because that you know we're not really addressing the issue because the fact is is that CRT is there even if it's not in there by its by its name it is present and we should all be able to acknowledge that it's there yeah yeah absolutely 100 percent all right let's uh keep moving on here story number three Pakistani Christian Asia Bibi you may remember the name we've covered it many times here on uh, CBN and, and Faithwire She spent nearly a decade on death row after being falsely accused of blasphemy against Islam. And uh, she wants to be a voice for hope for other persecuted Christians around the globe. So, as we've reported in the past, Bibi was convicted and sentenced back in 2010 after a co-worker accused her of insulting Islam after a dispute. Uh, Blasphemy is a crime punishable by death in Pakistan. Um... Yet somehow America's getting all the grief around the world, uh, Trey, as this yeah. backwards, oppressive country. But there's Pakistan with blasphemy laws um, and throwing people on death row for it. Uh, but the 50-year-old Bibi addressed the uh, International Religious Freedom Summit last week via a video message and gave God uh, glory and praise for her freedom and acknowledged those who prayed for her while she was in prison. That's an important thing to note here that 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 prayer was was impactful for her while she was behind bars. She said, there's a beautiful thing that happens every day in my cell. This was as she went on to talk about this really cool thing that that God did to kind of give her strength as she was sitting there on death row. She said it happened every day. Two days after they announced my death penalty, I was brought into death row. Every morning around 3.30 or 4, a brown bird with a long beak appeared and sat on the boundary wall. This bird also came every evening around 5 and would sit there for about 10 minutes in the morning, 10 minutes in the in the evening. Later on, he became my friend. I would talk to him and he talked to me. That's what she said. I would imagine being behind prison walls will do that to you. Um, but she continued and she said, I watch this bird every day and I try to understand the meaning of him coming day after day. And I think this is a messenger from God giving me his message. When the bird comes, I feel encouraged and peaceful. I feel comfort- comforted after his visit think it's very significant sign from God. Uh, so even though she was awaiting death there in her cell, the bird brought her comfort and a glimmer of hope uh, and likened it to uh, God sending the ravens to uh, minister to Elijah when he was hiding from those who wanted to kill him. Uh, the ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning and bread and meat in the evening and would drink from the brook from 1 Kings 17.6. So ultimately, Bibi was acquitted uh, of the crime by the Pakistani Supreme Court. Um, a lot of pressure from around the globe. Uh, to make that happen, um, but she was kept from leaving the country by officials, at, even after a final bid from a hardline Islamist to have her uh, acquittal overturned was uh, rejected. So, so she was afraid. I remember being 
having to be left there in the country. She was afraid for her safety yeah. um, if she were to be freed and then forced to stay there. So eventually, of course, she fled uh, and I believe made it to Canada. Uh, and so, and, and, and now obviously safe. So, so why does this one matter? Well, I mean, I think Trey, when I was reading the story and thinking about this story and, and what she talked about there, um, I think that we can tend to put ourselves at the center of the, of the bigger story, the bigger God story that's at play. You know, we're so self-focused and self-centered. That's just our kind of sinful way. Put ourselves as the center f- piece of the story. It's the only way we can see it. You know, and I saw someone talking about, quote unquote, self-actualization. You may have heard that phrase. I, I saw them talking about that on social media today. And, I, and these were Christians. And and so, you know, our purpose in this world is not to self-actualize. It's not some human achievement. There's, there's nothing wrong with it, trying to have achieve things or make goals. But our purpose is to glorify God in in these moments, to, to look for God, to point to him. Because our purpose in life is it's not to have stuff or be successful. It's to thank God, praise God in the highs and lows. And um, so, so more people ultimately see him and turn towards him. So Asia's story reminded me of that. Uh, she sought God in her lowest moment and is now praising him for giving her that hope while she was sitting there on death row. So, uh, so that's kind of why I think this story is important. It's a really awesome story too. I, I we talk all, all all the time in our culture about somebody being so brave for doing something or for saying something like it's so courageous that you've come out for example is one is one thing that we talk about um but we don't ever give attention in our society to people like asia who have just i mean she's been truly courageous and truly brave like what she's she's gone through she's stood up for oppression what, she's kind of done two things not only has she stood up against oppression and against persecution but she's also stood up for her faith and mm. praised God in the midst of it and said that that is the motivation behind her speaking out against persecution and mistreatment and injustice and all that kind of stuff. So it's just a, it's a really cool to hear such a, a brave story that that should be getting even more attention than it's getting now. But I'm, I'm thankful for CBN and for Faithwire, obviously, for highlighting her story because it is encouraging as as believers to hear testimony of other Christians and to see how God is moving in their lives because I know at times when I've been down and like you you feel that God is distant you know whatever the case might be when you hear another story about how God is moving it kind of reminds you of when God has moved in your life and it, it encourages you to remember that God isn't done working in your life even though you don't feel him right now uh, he's still very much present and is is ordering our steps. So it's it's a really cool story, and I'm, I'm grateful for for Asia's testimony. Yeah, absolutely, it's really so, good stuff. And this last story, Trey, this is the one I've been looking forward to <laughs> out of all these yes, today. It's a really good story. So story number four, uh, Tony. He's an unwitting pianist who plays daily outside the Chick Fil A in the Atlanta airport. He found himself at least $55,000 richer this week after a complete and total stranger called on his Instagram followers to bless the musician. Uh, So moved by his playing, Carlos Whitaker, he's the Instagram influencer, he interrupted Tony uh, yesterday to tell him how great he was and to ask how he could leave him a good tip. Uh, So they exchanged phone numbers, he got his Cash App and Venmo account and all that kind of stuff, and the two men just began talking and Whitaker soon learned that the 66-year-old musician is suffering from kidney disease and undergoes dialysis every night for nine hours before showing up at the airport every day uh, to play jazzy music on the mm. on the piano. So 
uh, Whitaker decided to then take to his Instagram and call on his followers to bless Tony, uh, and they really did that. Uh, he put up his Cash App uh, and Venmo account, and it started with he he just recorded videos of of Tony playing and then uploaded them and then and then put the Cash App and Venmo numbers on there too. It started with three hundred dollars, then eight hundred dollars, then fifteen hundred dollars, then eight thousand dollars rolling in. It just kept going up. All of this, Dan, was unbeknownst to Tony. <laughs> He's just, he just still kept playing. playing <laughs> had no idea that anything was anything was happening. Y'all are gonna have to go on to faithwire.com and watch this video because it's about a seven, eight minute video and it's just so cool. Yeah, but, um, it's so great. So Whitaker finally had to leave. Yeah, he finally had to leave to catch his flight out of Atlanta. So he pulled Tony aside from the piano uh, and told him that he'd raised at that point $10,000 <laughs> on Venmo and Cash App. And Tony was totally stunned and really emotional because uh, Whitaker said they've donated. And at one point, Tony said, who's they? (laughs) Uh, But it was just the 170, 180,000 people who follow Whitaker on Instagram just started donating money to him uh, because of his his piano playing and because they just really got invested in in this guy's story and what Whitaker had had told his followers about him. So by the time it was all said and done, Dan, it was about nine hours later, Tony had made more than $55,000. That's a good tip. uh, Thanks to donations from Whitaker's followers on Instagram. So the biggest tip that he had gotten prior to this one is kind of a funny story from the video. The biggest tip he had gotten was $600. Uh, That's a good tip too. That is a really good tip. $55,000 beats it by a little. <laughs> but, but $600 is a really good tip. Yes. But the funny thing about that tip is, so a guy, he said one time, gave him $10 to play Piano Man. Uh, you know, so he just kept playing it. He, he gave, the guy gave him $10 and just wanted him to keep playing it. So he kept playing it over and over and over again, whatever. And he said, and then another guy came up to him and said, I will give you $600 to stop playing that song. <laughs> <laughs> so so he, the guy said, hey, I would have stopped playing it for $10. So, but he gave him $600 uh, for that. I mean, it just seems like Tony seems like such a cool guy obviously Whitaker is a great guy for doing that he told his followers as he was leaving and and heading to the gate for his flight he said we changed that man's life in 30 minutes in the airport don't tell me we can't come together uh so this is obviously not a right or left story just an incredible good news story and one we've been looking for for a while uh so Whitaker told Tony that people decided to give him such a huge tip because he's quote a great human being and you're changing people's lives when you play piano you're loved you're adored and I don't know what you're going to do with that money uh or what you need it for but it's yours yeah. so just really incredible <laughs> story Tony was obviously in tears and told Whitaker he said I have to hug you and so they've they've kept in touch and have, have been on the phone a few times just within the last 24 hours yeah that's great it's great stuff it is such a great video you got to go watch it on the website but um but he is talented you know and it is amazing he's how so good you know and, you know and people are at the airport they're traveling like I get it I, because he's kind of pointing out how nobody's really noticing like people notice but you know you're off traveling you know you know, I've been in New York, you know, I used to work in New York and go into the subway and, you know, there'd be some talented musicians down there playing, but it's like, well, I'm catching my train, you know, <laughs> and yeah. uh, and so I'm going on to the next thing It's and you see it everywhere. So it's it's not totally uncommon. So I, I on the one hand, I can get why people, you know, it's no sign of disrespect, right? It's just a busy airport. Right. Um, but it is yeah. amazing that somebody with that much talent can just, you know, just kind of hop in there and. And uh, kind of go unnoticed, but uh, but it was really great when 
this guy did yeah. draw the attention to him and the reaction that it got. I mean, just just seeing Tony's reaction is worth it. I mean, it's it's hilarious when he sees how much it is. Um, but uh, he does he does we have to say he does drop one expletive. Yes, but yes. you know he was he was completely shocked. Right. So you have to get, give him some grace there. But it's a, it's such a cool reaction. Yes. And even so, our our colleague Sarah. Uh, she said that she thinks that she's she's seen him uh, at the airport before Tony. So he seems to, he must have been doing this for for quite some time. And um, I, I well, nine hours he's a never day. had an experience like this. Yeah, I mean it's not. I mean, it said you know you were saying that he was doing it nine hours a day and he's just grinding away there, playing the piano. Yeah. So uh, man, that's uh, good for him. Good for him, and uh, a great story for sure to go check out uh, over uh, on the website. But that is uh, that's all yeah. that we have for now. Um, as always, if you want more news from a Christian perspective, head on over to faithwire.com, cbnnews.com. Don't forget to subscribe to this podcast, leave a rating on iTunes, and um, we will be back here tomorrow with, uh, with more news from that Christian perspective. God bless. Have a great rest of the day, and we'll see you back here tomorrow.